Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you know us so well. You know what we need. You understand everything about us. Thank you that you call us to yourself. Thank you that you have sent us your son. We pray that we may hear and see and understand and be overwhelmed to the point where we will trust. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you are visiting us, we are working our way through Luke's gospel. So we're going slow. Uh, it's the longest uh, gospel in the entire Bible. It's the longest book in the New Testament, actually, um, in terms of length. Uh, and we are in chapter 6. We've been looking at the fact that Jesus is uh, developing an interesting relationship with the leaders of the day. Um, things are becoming a little bit more and more tense. Um, and today, uh, things are taking an enormous turn in Jesus' plan to bring about God's kingdom. Uh, but I thought we'll start with um, uh, the major thrust, really, of what's going on in this section. And on your outline there, I've written down there, missing the forest for the trees. I'm sure you know what that means. That means you get so stuck in the details that you can't see the big picture. So I want to tell you a little story, uh, and I will note carefully who of you will be laughing, because I need to see if you get this big picture and who gets the detail. You laugh now? If you laugh all the time, then I won't know. So, As I was preparing, I came across this interesting little story. It says, one night a wife found her husband um, standing over the crib of the infant. And uh, as she watched him looking down at their firstborn, uh, she saw an amazing mixture of emotions uh, on his face. She saw disbelief. She saw doubt, she saw delight and amazement, uh, she saw enchantment and uh, skepticism. So touched by this amazing amount of emotion that a man can show, she walked up to him and put her arms around his body like this. You know, he still had a six-pack in those days, so she could get her arms around. And um, kind of hugged him and lovingly said to him, a penny for your thoughts. What are you thinking? And he said, I'm amazed because I can't work out how anybody can make a crib like this for 400 rand. Get the story? He missed the miracle in front of him. He was worried about the crib. So never think a man knows what he's doing while he's showing all those kind of emotions. He may be thinking something different. But really, this is what's going on in this story here. They are missing the big story for the details. Now, it's funny, interesting. If you know yourself a little bit, you know that you can fall into that trap very easily. The weirdest thing is the more emotionally you are attached to something, the more chances are there that you will miss the forest with the trees. You'll get stuck in the detail, and you won't see the bigger picture. And the weirdest thing is the more religious you are, the more chances are there that you will do that. The more you'll worry about religious detail, and you'll actually miss the Lord of all. And this is what we find in this section. So as we read it, there are two little stories that are quite closely connected. Both of them are happening on the Sabbath day. Um, and the first story is, is these disciples are going and they are picking some grain and they're rubbing it in their hands and they're eating it. And uh, they have a complaint in verse 2. Some of the Pharisees says, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And then Jesus answers them in this most weirdest of ways. He says, 
Jesus asked him, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? So if you want to go, if you want to write it down, sorry, I forgot to put that in the outline. 1 Samuel chapter uh, uh, 21 is really all about what was going on there. Jesus could have very easily have said to them, listen, guys, you are overzealous. Um, they are gleaning, they are not reaping. So different Jews had different amounts of laws that they added to make sure that you keep the Sabbath. So Jesus could have very easily have said to them, listen, yeah, they are not reaping, they are gleaning. Now, just as a sideline issue, one of the things that they did in that culture was that when you have your field, you were never allowed to actually reap everything. You always had to leave the edges for people who are poor who could come and t- pick up some of the grain and rub it and eat so that they'll have something to eat. So there was a great compassion. Jesus could have very easily have said, well, that's what the guys are doing. You are overzealous. But Jesus got a different agenda. He's saying to them, really, that you are getting stuck in the details because what is happening right now in front of your eyes is exactly what happened in the time of David. So if you go and read the story in the Old Testament, Jesus, uh, David was already anointed as king But Saul was still in power at this stage. And Saul was out there to get rid of David, even though he knew that David was anointed as king. And so David was fleeing from Saul at this stage, and this guy was saying to him, I know that you are the king, and he gives him some of the bread to eat, because in the bigger picture, that is exactly what is happening. And Jesus is saying exactly the same thing is happening right in front of you. I've been anointed the king of Israel. I have my band of misfits that is following me. And no one yet has, seems to understand who I am and what I'm about. And so he's basically drawing attention to himself. He's saying, have you not known? Have you not understood who I am? You are so worried about the Sabbath day in the details that you don't understand who I am. I am greater than David. I am the greater David that is here but you do not understand who I am. Jesus then goes on in verse 5. He goes a little bit further and he says, Then Jesus said to him, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Not only am I the greater David, I am greater than David. Now they most likely didn't understand a single thing about what that means. Maybe just like you don't understand what that means. Because that actually comes from Daniel chapter 7. The great glorious Son of Man who comes on the clouds of heaven to whom is given all authority on heaven and on earth and everybody worships him and he rules over everyone. But they may not have understood that that is what Jesus is saying. I am the one who actually institutes the Sabbath. I am the one that is the Sabbath, Jesus is saying. Now, the next story is really going to help us to understand that a little bit better. So if you're still confused, don't worry too much. They were confused too. Luke helps us to understand that in the next story, we started to start to understand what Jesus is really after. So, verse 6, On another Sabbath he went into a synagogue and, there was, uh, and, and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew that they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, here comes the clincher. I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy it? Now what is absolutely fascinating, and on your outline I've given it there to you, that question is what was the Sabbath day all about? Why did God actually give them the Sabbath day? 
Now, there's lots of details in the Bible about the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, but the two main points actually comes in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. But the reason for the Sabbath is slightly different. So on both of them, they are told to work six days and rest on the Sabbath, uh, on the seventh day. Uh, actually, there's uh, uh, seventh day. Sunday is our first day of the week, actually. So he says it's good for you to image God. I don't want to get into the details of that, what that means. But you are to show forth that you are my people by imaging me. I worked for six days and I rested for one. I want you to show that you believe and trust me by imaging me, by also working for six days and resting on the seventh day. Because I am the one who upholds everything and I made everything good. Okay? So what is the Sabbath day all about? Remembering that God is good. And that this day is all about the goodness of God's creation. And that God is the one who upholds all things. And as you image Him, as you believe in Him, as you imitate Him literally, you are showing that you believe that this day is the day that tells us that God's ultimate plan is to bring about what is good again. Does that make sense? So it's quite easy. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to do something good or evil on the Sabbath day? Well, if, uh, you're supposed to do good all the time, but on the Sabbath day, you specifically have to do what is good. You see what he's saying? The next reason in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 to 15, interesting again, he reiterates the Sabbath day and the six days, one day rest. But here the reason is, is because God has saved you. So God is going to bring about the goodness of his creation through salvation. And it's something that God will do. It's not something that you can do. Just like you don't uphold the world, God does. So you cannot bring about the ultimate good of God's creation yourself. You need to rest in the fact that God has saved you, and he will save you, and he will bring about his kingdom. So the second part of Jesus' question, first part, are you supposed to do good or evil? You now know? Good. Are you supposed to save a life or destroy it? supposed to save a life all right so jesus is simply helping them to see what is going on so as lord of the sabbath as the one who can bring about the meaning of the sabbath ultimate good and saving of a life that's exactly what jesus does on that sabbath day he says to the man he looked around um, at all of them verse 10 and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus proves he's the Lord of the Sabbath because he comes and he does what is good, and he comes and he saves a life by restoring this man's, and it's interesting, it's his right hand. In those days, sorry if you're left-handed, they would um, notice that and take a piece of rope and tie it to your side of your body so that you would work with your right hand because the left hand was the weak hand the right hand was the strong hand um, so that's why a right hand a triple right hand is a man who cannot look after himself he's lost he's dead he's not alive you see the imagery all of that imagery sits in this story and jesus says i am the lord of the sabbath and as the lord of the sabbath i've come to do good by restoring humanity to its fullness again. So the word they used, complete, re, completely restored, is exactly that. 
it is entirely restored back to its former purpose and functioning. So the Sabbath day was a proclamation by Israel in believing that God will bring about good by redemption, salvation, to restore everything again to its proper intent and functioning. And Jesus says, here is the evidence in front of you that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I do it right here, bam, for this man in front of everybody else. You see what he's saying? But what are the Pharisees who are nitpicking about the rules all about? Verse 13, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and, became, and began to discuss with one another what they might do. And what is interesting about the language is just like the fullness was described in the restoration of this man to functional life, the fullness of their fury is captured by the words that are describing them. They have become full to the top, fully furious, fully discussing with one another, what do you do with a man that seems to go against every single thing that we stand for? And they planned to do what to him, do you think? To give him a hug. It is actually to destroy them. So on the very Sabbath day that they are claiming, they are keeping, they are plotting evil and to destroy a life. Thinking they are keeping the Sabbath. You see how dangerous religion is? You can actually think you're doing God's will when you do exactly the opposite of God's will because you say everybody must do all religious things the way I want them to be done. It's actually not about God. It's about me and everybody who thinks like me. And if somebody doesn't think like that, I want nothing to do with them. I'll exclude myself from them because they are not as righteous and good and serious about the details of what we should do as God's people. Can you see how serious this is? If you're religious... You will look at people and you will say, I don't want to associate with those people because they are not doing it the way I think it ought to be done. Because it's not about Jesus Christ. It's not about the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not about the purposes of God. See how dangerous it is to be religious? Very dangerous to be religious. Do you understand what Jesus is doing? Are you stepping into fellowship with people or are you withholding yourself from fellowship to people if you're withholding yourself it's most likely because you're religious because jesus steps into people confronting them with the glory of the purposes that god has come to bring about what is good by restoration see how serious this stuff is and we see how serious it is in the next little event that happens this is the pinnacle of Jesus deciding, I can no longer work with the old Israel. I am now going to constitute the true Israel of God, the true people of God, the new people of God. He goes up on the mountain and there's stacks of detail. If you want to go and read Exodus chapter 19 specifically, but the whole of the first 19 chapters of Exodus, a lot of the detail of what's happening here is really recapturing of what happened there. He goes up on the mountain. He spends the entire night in prayer before God. And he comes down. He calls his disciples to himself. And then he designates 12 of them to be apostles. Sent out once. 
so that he may send them out into the world with a message that the true people of God actually gathers around Jesus Christ, not around religious rules. Jesus thinks what they have done at that Sabbath is so serious that he is now casting them aside. And in the midst of this whole thing, he is calling those who are truly the people of God, who can see what it's all about by seeing him. He's calling his disciples to him, and out of that disciples, he designates 12. 12, the 12 fathers of the Old Testament, now 12 new people who will constitute the new true Israel that he will actually use and send out. Because apostles simply mean sent out once. They will now be prepared so that when the time comes, he can send them out with the message that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who alone can bring about life to the full. And that's all happening in that little section there, as he says. So verse 12, on those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Amazing, isn't it? Then Jesus comes down with the 12 and his disciples, and he stands on a flat piece of ground. Now again, there, the more you know your Old Testament, the more you start to saliva. One of the great promises of the true exodus of God's people will be every valley will be made flat, and every mountain will be brought low, and he's standing on a level ground. And people from all over come, not just Israel, Sidon and Tyre and his Gentile territories. And his power goes out to every single one and he heals them all in one go. Like God's glory on the temp in, the, in the mountain when people were terrified because of the lightning and the thunder and the smoke. Now Jesus steps in as God's fulfillment of redemption. He now heals everybody that is in his presence. In one go. Zap! Everybody's healed. Declaring that he is the Lord of the Sabbath that comes to bring about good by redemption as you come to him. Not as you are religious. As you come to him. See how amazing it is? This is a huge turn. From now on, Jesus is going to work almost exclusively with his disciples and with the twelve, preparing them to take this message that he is the life giver that he has the power to give life. Ultimately, we know he first has to die because that is the power that removes sin before God. But at this moment, he's just exemplifying. He's giving a picture of the power of God. It's great, isn't it? Amazing. So do you hear what he's saying? So if you haven't, I've tried to write it out there for you. There's only one way to enter into the reality, goodness, and life of God's Sabbath rest. And that is not by being religious or good or praying or trying, but by being restored to Jesus Christ by his own life-giving power. Do you hear it? Very difficult to hear that, isn't it? Do you hear it clearly? You need to be restored to Jesus Christ by his power. You cannot work your way up there. It is not possible to do that. No amount of churching, Bible reading, praying, and stuff will do it. Only Jesus Christ can do it. You need to go to him. You need to deal with him. Isn't that what it's saying? Do you hear that? Is it good news to you? 
Can you see what Jesus is saying? Can you close your eyes and see what he's saying? Does it sound like good news to your heart? For a lot of people, it sounds like bad news. They would much rather be religious than to come to Christ. Not to rather want to be do what is right than come to Christ. Maybe you need more evidence of his goodness and his ability. I don't know. Well, keep reading. Now, here's the question. Can you trust news as good as this? Can you trust this good news? Well, then come to him with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength to receive him to be with him. See what Jesus is saying? You are saved from sin to be with him. Not so that you won't have sin. Or that you'll go to heaven when you die. You'll be with him. Because he is life. Out of him flows life that restores everything. Keep coming to him. Trusting and resting in him. And then go out and paint pictures for people so that they may see Jesus. So you can invite them to Jesus. Not to your religion. See how amazing this is? What do you tell people when you go out there? What's the message you tell them? About Jesus Christ? Do you tell them about being good? Trying harder? Praying more? Praying less? Praying like this? See how funny, dangerous religion is? Jesus says, I am the one who can restore you to life. Make sure you come to him. That is the simple reality that Luke is going to drive home again and again and again and again in the next weeks. Become more convinced about that reality. Come to him. Rest in him. Receive him. And you will be restored and you will become like him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that these pictures are so clear in one sense, and yet they are so foreign to us. We take our own efforts of trying to be good so serious, we actually judge others for not being quite as good as we are. We don't recognize that we are all lost, damned, condemned, confused, powerless, enemies. It is only in Christ and in Him alone that there is goodness and restoration to life. For everyone who comes. Oh Lord, we pray that we ourselves may hear. Are we trying to bind one another to our rules and regulations? Are we trying to bind one another to the Lord Jesus Christ? Forgive us for how often we slip and slide around with this confusion that is so prevalent in us. Our own Pharisaism keeps on popping out in all sorts of interesting little ways. Lord Jesus, thank you that again, so clearly, you show that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. You are the one who brings the Sabbath rest for whoever comes to you. You are good enough and able enough to restore and give life and give hope. Bring peace, rest, amazement, wonder, worship. And a testimony that Jesus Christ alone is Savior of my heart. And yet he is the Savior and the Lord and the life giver for every single person in this universe who will come to him.
Thank you for this very simple reminder. Thank you that we can come to you now today. The good news is we can still come today if we discover we have not come. If our hearts not are full of goodness and thanks and glory for Jesus Christ, Lord, won't you by your Spirit convict us to help us to see if we have come or not? Thank you that you are calling us even today, every one of us, to come and to hang out with you. For you are the giver of life. And we praise you and we worship you and we thank you and we bow before you and we declare you. And we do this because of your kindness and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.